0: Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com
1: Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified
0: Coach Christopher McCollum. And good morning and welcome to another edition, or good whatever time it is where you are, another edition of The Coaching Show. My name is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach, because we have to say it that way. Here with Alex Terranova. Alex, is it official? Are you a professional certified coach?
2: It's very official. There's a certificate framed. There's an email. All the things that make it official. I'm waiting till we can get back to the office so I can hang my PCC in your office because you basically forced me to get it. So I want you to remember this. You basically forced me to get it. Yeah, I
0: I do that. I have a lot of things on the wall, usually the heads of my enemies, but I appreciate. I would take the uh, the PCC as a as a trophy. Uh, congratulations. That's Alex Terranova. He is the uh, uh, creator of thedreammason.com and. And our uh, co-host on this program, also uh, PCC, as you heard, also uh, runs his own podcast, probably better, called The Dream Mason Podcast, as well as uh, you've got one called Flip the Lens. And what else is happening? You're an author of fictional authenticity,
2: not, Um, I
0: mean, an actual book called Fictional Authenticity, not just.
2: Yeah, the book book is called Fictional Authenticity. the Flip the Lens podcast is exciting. It's different. I'm doing it with two people who have never podcasted before. They're mm. one One's a, a mother of three, almost four, and a, a big-time entrepreneur. And the other one is a fitness guru, personal trainer, who has this big, amazing story about forgiving his father. And he's making a documentary about it. And we partnered to do this podcast. And it's interesting because it's all about perspectives so when one of us can't be there, we'll bring somebody else on to bring you know somebody of a different race, gender, um, mm. sexual orientation to keep bringing in new perspectives. But what's interesting, we were talking about this week, we're being too nice to each other. Yeah. We're like we're de- we're not really going in and challenging each other, which we just started to do on the last episode. So I'm I'm looking forward to. You know, hating some people soon. You know, just like the rest of them. We just like wow. America, right? We're gonna we're gonna turn wow. our podcast into <laughs> just to,
0: this. This is to, taking an awkward turn. No, I love that. Yeah, uh, being nice to each other, right? It's another example of white fragility, correct? Right? Mm-hmm. We were we can't talk about things. We, everything everything's nice. Um, <clears throat> well, I'm I'm happy to be with you. I see uh, a lot of empty shelves and bare walls. Anything you want to share with the class? I'm moving. I Ooh.
2: I don't want to give out my address um. quite yet. I'm I'm not I'm not <laughs> ready to do that. Well, we've uh, only known each other for five or six know, years. I actually, um, <laughs> without getting into all the details, my move a week before it got thrown into like a complete change. And every we all know that moving is uncomfortable and stressful and difficult. Because and you argued with a, your sweetheart or, no, no. It was, oh. it's some more com- more complex. But within a week the whole process of the move and I think the thing that I was that I really noticed is how if I want to say I'm proud of myself from the sense of uh the day after all the changes happened and everything's in flux I just kind of went well this is inconvenient and people were like are you upset are you angry and I just this is just inconvenient like look at the world that we're in the re the problems that we have uh people are you know not living not being able to live their lives like safe and peacefully and have opportunities i just was like how can i complain about an inconvenient move this seems like very small in the spectrum of things that could be happening to us and to our lives which for me is a big deal because five six ten years ago this would have been i mean you knew me christopher when i trained in accomplishment coaching I, I was looking for drama everywhere
0: and creating it you were like sort of a master oh, yeah um <laughs> master drama creator that's the mdc <laughs> credential um all right well i'm happy to have you here and i guess we'll just have to live without knowing any of the details but um wait
2: you tell continue. me the details are important it's the it's not the content right it's the context
0: <laughs> shot with my own context
1: gun. is decisive
0: there you go <laughs> and that is the voice of our guest we should get to our guest because uh the such an incredible person and uh, recent most recently at the acto conference uh jay Pryor set the place on fire via zoom which was extraordinary and and masterfully done just a a beauty beautiful thing to watch jay's a speaker an executive coach and a facilitator of corporate trainings and workshops around the world uh also the an author of the book *Lean Inside: Seven Steps to Personal Power*, a practical guide to transformation for women, co-hosted the podcast *Doing the Work* with Jay and Becca, devoted to awakening people to their own power and transforming their lives. And LGBTQ—is did I say that right? L-G-T-B-L-G-B-T-Q LGBTQ advocate. Yeah, the IA if you'd like. LGBT yeah, there's so many. You. Yes, there's, there's a so- lot. And they change, advocate and educator for inclusivity, for gender consciousness, and the creator of the Gender Reveal Party, a one-human performance show about their experience growing up, a transgender non-binary person in the heart of the Midwest. Jay lives with their wife, Jessica, and two children in still in the Midwest, in the heart of the Midwest, in Lawrence, Kansas. Please welcome to our, our microphone or our YouTube channel or wherever you're finding us, Jay Pryor.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you.
0: Thank you for being here. Um, I'm pretty sure that when you let people know that you are queer and transgender, the, the piece that people focus on is the transgender. Absolutely. Right? We're, we're yeah. sort of, as a nation, we're, we're more, I think, in our lifetimes, perhaps the most accepting of queer lifestyles. But this transgender thing, you know, I mean, uh, Caitlyn Jenner. That's what I yeah. imagine a lot of us, our our real introduction to uh, trans people is. What yeah. what I'd like to start with, and obviously we can start wherever you want. But what I'd like to start with is the experience being a young person, being a person growing up with what I think we call body dysphoria. You know, the experience that this is not the body that I am should have. Please share with us what that what's that like.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, just a note so people can locate themselves. I was born in 1966 in a town of 500 people in Southeast Kansas. So you want to get that in Southeast Kansas in 1966, it was more like 1956 or 1946. I mean, you know, we're, Southeast Kansas is behind the times, right? Kansas is behind and then the small towns in Kansas are even further behind. So you know, we were, nobody knew about anything nobody ever talked about anything, gay, lesbian, anything like that. And so for me, it was just this, you know, knowing or feeling that there was something wrong with me. Like, that's just the, the bottom line was that I was broken. I thought that I was mentally ill. I thought that I was um, a sexual deviant because I was a, tra- I was a girl and I was attracted to girls. And so I thought that I was, first of all, I was going to go straight to hell. So I knew that was coming. I was going to go straight to hell. And um, I was a sexual deviant and mentally ill. So uh, it was. those are the feelings and thoughts I had. Essentially, what I did to deal with that was I became somebody who drank a lot in high school and was a suicidal. I can't remember a time when I would, didn't have a suicidal thought when I was a young person up until I was about 24, pretty much daily. So tragic. that was... It was tragic. I mean, and the biggest thing, you know, there's a, there's a film out right now on Netflix that I want to recommend that everybody watch, which is called Disclosure, and it's hosted by Laverne Cox. And she says that even in a, I think the most recent Glad study says that 80% of Americans don't know a transgender, think they don't know a transgender person. So imagine in 1976, when I'm 10, um, there is no one that looks like me on TV. There's nobody that the closest thing that I would get to anybody being like me was Jodie Foster and Tatum O'Neill. went Tatum O'Neill in Bad News Bears, Jody Foster in, you know, Beyond Which Mountain or whatever, you know, I yes, was, I'm was doing. Yeah. Um, and I always tease about that because Jodie Foster was the closest thing to me that I had when I was little, but I came out way before she did. So, um,
0: <laughs> not, uh, not that it's a contest, but we no, understand, no,
1: no, not at all, <laughs> um, Not at all. But, but I just, it's a joke. Cause she was, She was basically yeah. the only thing I had her and Christy McNichol in the Christy McNichol. Family. That's right. Yeah. Like, yeah. She was like, and they were tomboys. So I knew myself as a tomboy, but what happened was all my friends grew out of being a tomboy and right. I never did and it was as though they had this inside trader information that i didn't have and didn't feel comfortable asking about and was confused by and just felt awkward and you know like there was something wrong with me
2: so, from pre- go, pre- ahead. Oh, christopher please god
0: i'm so sorry yeah let's just Maybe. all jump in the pool uh yeah, so a couple on. things first of all when somebody reveals their age you have to say you don't look it jay amazing <laughs>
1: So yeah, no, I we did that. Like it. Right.
0: <laughs> it's true. Uh secondly, I just want to before we leave the topic I just want to say that as a boy I had three major crushes and you've named them. So I think that oh, that's revealed... funny.
1: Taine <laughs> uh, O'Neill, Christy McNichol and Jody Foster.
0: Not in that order. Yeah, it was Christy McNichol all the way and then Jody second. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, See, I thought okay. she was The cutest too. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh you when you when I've seen you speak the the um the experience of you, the freedom that it was in your youth to be able to do anything and run around with your shirt off and in play in streams yeah. and in meadows and things. And then to all of a sudden come back to that fateful day when your friends were wearing dresses and you were like, wait, something's changed, yeah?
1: Yeah, sixth grade.
0: I'm just, I'm. That that is such a poignant moment for me. And Alex, forgive me, I just needed to, I guess, express that. What have, what have you got?
2: I'm just present to, you know, Jay, I saw the, one of your videos online where you shared um, the, a moment where you tried to take your life with, I think it was a truck and deciding you had had it and, and crashed it on purpose. And I was thinking about lis- listening to you now and, and having seen that video how many young people struggle with the exact same thoughts that you're thinking, whether they're, Absolutely. whether it's because they're not smart, they don't think they're smarter, they don't have friends, or maybe they, you know, aren't sure about sexuality. Maybe they're just scared of sexuality. Yeah. I know I've talked to a lot of people on my podcast that are, they are like, man, I was in high school and I was terrified of sex. Yes. And, and regardless of what kind, you know, of right. who they were. And it just had me thinking about, you know, as a coach and a leader, how do we even make a difference for those people? Because when we're young, like we don't even, they're not listening to this podcast. They're not reading the books. They're not seeking help because they don't know. Like to be able to think back, was there anything anyone could have done for you or anything that you could say we could be doing now for those young people that we don't even realize as coaches and leaders?
1: The only thing I think that, what well, it did make a difference when I when I finally met other gay people, and this is for me, as someone who's been an out, uh, out since 1985, I have a lot of parents come to me uh, when their kids come out to them, and I have people in my community or in the country, actually, because now I'm at least known nationwide, uh, people contact me when one of their children or someone has just come out to them as transgender, and the very first thing I do is get them connected to other people who are like them. Because the thing that is the most, uh, for me anyway, that was, and I see it over and over again, is the, I'm the only oneness. Yeah. When you can have somebody else say, you're not the only one, I feel exactly like that. And for me, when I met, first it was when I met the butch, like I came out as a, a young, what I call butch dyke or lesbian, and found that community, I was home. And I had that experience of belonging. And then later when I came out as trans and I met other trans guys and other people who have those There's nothing, you can put me in a room with a trans guy and we are like this. I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, where we come from any other place. We know there's this bond we have because we have these feelings and we're the only people that know what this feels like. And so the first thing I do is find them community. So the biggest thing we can do for, I think, anybody who's dealing with that is find other people who are like them and to understand the power of community. Community saves lives. And so that's the very first thing I always do is get people connected to community. And I had no community that I felt like I belonged in. And even though I'm, please note, like one of the things I was trying to make sure I tell people is all along the way, I'm like, leadership is in my blood. I don't even know how to not do it. <laughs> Just, I don't, it's always been there. So I I I'm a that. suicidal youth in high school. I hate my own guts. I would like to kill myself anytime I can. Every time I get an opportunity to, I'm going to get drunk. But I was still the student body president, right? I was still the president of my junior class. I was still in show choir. I was still on, you know, student council leading things, you Not know, forensics. I was doing the whole nine. So it, what I, I make sure to tell people that because just because a kid is showing up like a leader doesn't mean they're happy. And it doesn't mean that they're not suicidal. It doesn't mean that they're not having a hard time. I think it's so important because I think a lot of times the kids that get overlooked are the ones who aren't showing visible signs that they're, that they, you know, that they are as depressed as they are. So I think finding community for people, for kids today, for anybody who is dealing with anything, finding another person who's, who's got even, I know people who have autoimmune diseases. And the minute they find another person who can say, I know what you're going through. That's, it makes a huge difference. So I think that's, that's the biggest thing.
0: There are about a million questions uh, showing up for me. I think that, I I, I think that, see, so, uh, you know, uh, for people not watching video, I think it's clear, but just in case it's not, I am a 50, a nearing 60 year old uh, white American, cisgendered, heterosexual male. Now, I've got the awareness and the bias towards having grown up um, poor and in non-white communities. Uh, I've got a, a deep and abiding, left-leaning, you know, good old tax-and-spend museum-quality liberal um, bent in my life. But I'm sort of the natural enemy of a lot of communities that I really feel affinity for and am and a stand for uh, their liberation. Having said that, what can—and I know this is—you know, this is like going to uh, black people or people of color to say, "Hey, what can us? Do? What can we white people do?" <laughs> right? <laughs> but I'm—I'm I'm so sorry to lead with it. But what can cisgendered, straight, you know, married people of a certain age be doing these days to really uh, be true allies—not performative allies, but real allies—to trans, non-binary, you know, LGBTQIA communities. And I'm well, sorry if that's too big.
1: No, 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 it's not too big. I, I think it's a, I mean, it's a fair question and I get it a lot. And I think that the, the biggest thing is to do what you're doing in the sense that you are actually like having me on the show is putting your feet to it. Like, so being an ally today, it doesn't work to just put a rainbow ring around your Facebook page and, you know, So that's performative, right? I mean, last year when it was the 50th anniversary of Pride, yeah. I saw so many people posting things about their dishwasher with my with the trans flag behind them. They didn't even know. what it was. They just thought it was pretty. Yeah. They thought it was pink and blue and white, and it's pretty. So they, you know, but it's like people know what you're doing, right? <laughs> so um, so um, putting your feet to, to uh, allyship is uh, just where it's at right now. It's like it doesn't work to just speak it, but you've got to be in action. And so the best allies I know are people who are using their their. Privilege and their power to host things like this and to give a voice to LGBTQI leaders and to you know, make sure that they're loud about it. And um, I just think that those are the biggest things. Um, I am a GLSEN volunteer. Um, GLSEN is G-L-S-E-N. Um, and those, those letters, people always wanna know what that means. Those letters started out back in 1990 as the Gay and Lesbian Services Education Network. They just got known so well for themselves as GLSEN that they kept the name, but they are the most researched, well thought out, intersectional queer advocates that I know and that they, t- they take on K through 12 education for kids. And our goal is to have every kid be safe in school. So we're very intersectional. Um, but I volunteered for GLSEN because A, they've been around since 1990, B, we serve kids more than anything. And C, they have all the research. So I like to send straight allies to the glisten.org website because you can find so much research there on what it means to be an ally, how to be a great ally, um, and really research on what makes a difference for these kids and why, because it'll show you the stats around it. Talking about being a suicidal youth and the, the stats around Trans kids, for example, are 46% more likely mm. to attempt suicide than their cisgender peers. Transgender uh, F to M's, transgender men, that we used to call, them F to, we used to call ourselves F to M's. Ten, transgender men, 51% of transgender men have attempted suicide. So it's, you know, it's like that. the stats are really high um, around uh, especially trans folks and non-binary humans. So um, I always point to Glisten because they're just a great resource. And uh anything you want to find out you can you can learn from them
0: and again, that's g l s e n dot
2: o r g
1: yeah, thank you
2: Thank you Alex yeah jay you you talked in the beginning about how who you were intersected with your the way you were raised in your faith beliefs. And like the community of faith, so faith that was around you. And right now, it seems like faith and politics run like headfirst into each other. Yeah. I'm I'm curious for you how not specifically just for you, like for you, but for all people that wanna believe in their faith, like that wanna have strong faith beliefs, and maybe they are very committed to like the Bible or or whatever their belief is, but yet then they also fall into um they also fall into a community that that they they don't align almost like they believe right. that they're bad or they're going to go straight to hell how how can how are you how are you able to be with it if you are but how can other people kind of merge these two things that seem
1: like a car accident often yeah absolutely one of the things i talk about this in my book is that um i assert that all humans must reconcile their um origin of faith like the where they whatever they got raised with right they, all adults to be whole adults and to be a an adult who is lives an examined life at some point must deal with their or faith of origin um, mine was catholicism i'm the youngest of nine kids i was raised by diehard uh democrat catholics my dad i always say we were like the kennedys but poor um (laughs) (laughs) we were irish catholic (laughs) irish catholic democrats but we were coal miners um (laughs) not so much much of a compound as uh, jack (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, right so but seriously like i I tell the, i talk about this in the show i tease about the fact that my family was the choir um you know we, we were a small town and we were nine kids so there was a lot of us um, so for me, um, I had a priest tell me when I was 18 years old that I could be Catholic, but I could not take communion if I was going to practice homosexuality. So I was devastated by that. I told him I didn't even need any practice and I left the church. And for me, it was, it was, <laughs> it was devastating um, because I was very Catholic. I was, we were very Catholic. And so it took a long time for me to reconcile that within myself And essentially what happened is I met my now wife and when we were engaged, we both had been raised very uh, staunchly in a, you know, we had, we were both people who went to church every Sunday. And so we were talking about what we wanted our life to look like in the future. And we both wanted to think, wanted to have kids. And we both felt like we want to raise those kids in a faith community. So we needed to find a faith community that also supported us as queer adults. So we ended up finding a Methodist church and it was a long search, <laughs> believe me. Um, we found Dumbarton United Methodist Church in Washington DC. And at the time they were exploring, they were, they were, were completely open and welcoming to transgender humans. And they've been open and welcoming and affirming to again, lesbian people since 1988. They're I think the first open and welcoming church or Methodist church for sure in the country. Um, so I love them. They, were, they became our faith community. And then when we moved here, um, we found unity, which is a completely different thing. But I mean, I probably cried in church every Sunday for a year um, because it was just so intense for me um, to be accepted. It was the acceptance that was so moving to me. Um, So I just assert that all people, no matter who you are, you have to get complete with how you were raised um, and you have to get to a point where you can be affirmed and find uh, if you want a faith community, there's tons of them that affirm who you are no matter what. And we do have a resurgence, I think, of good old right Christian folks who think you have to be a certain way to have God love you, but I really still believe they're in the minority. I think we've really, we've that's one of the tipping points I think we've started to hit in this country is, I really believe that although they're loud, I think they're a minority, and I think we have more Christians coming about. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with Fred Phelps, but, you know, Fred Phelps was right here in, in Topeka, Kansas. When I was in college, I debated that guy. So I was the leader of the gay student organization wow. when Fred Phelps started picketing funerals. So I was at KU, and he was in Topeka, 30 miles up the road. So I was, had a lot of one-on-one contact with that guy. And the thing about him is that Fred Phelps did more for the queer community than anybody because it made Christians be like, oh, no, we're not like that guy. <laughs> we don't, we're not, we're not saying God hates you. <laughs> we're just, you know, and so a lot of Christians started coming around and he did such great work for us all over the country by picketing funerals and being so nasty. Well, I would assert that quote 45 has done the same for a lot of things of a lot of people being like whoa i'm not that intense you know i'm not that racist (laughs) i'm not that you know it it really does when someone's that extreme it it really has it really makes a big difference so you know um the best thing that we can do is let him be as loud as he can because of what it does is it just turns people off and so i think that that my experience anyway is most christians are coming to this world where they're getting that that's you know, not I mean there's definitely your far right Christians are never gonna be there. But a lot of Christian communities are starting to figure out that LGBTQ people God loves them too.
0: You don't get you don't get much more poetic than having to tear gas people out of the way so you can hold up a Bible. Right. Look
1: <laughs> at Lord. At a Methodist church no less <laughs> <That's right. laughs> that That's he's never right. been to. <laughs>
0: Clearly <laughs> Um, there's so much there and I, uh, let's, let's at least briefly, you know, by the way, I'm not that racist. There's the title for your next something, right? Podcast show something. Um, let's, let's talk about the intersection, if you will, of Black Lives Matter or civil rights for all of our citizens and LGBTQIA rights. What, um, you know talk about allyship and performative allyship these days right there's there's yeah. a lot of learning to do for I'll, I'll speak for myself as a as a white person there's a ton of learning to do i think i've got you know six books on my desk right now waiting for me to read all about you know um the impacts of white supremacy and white and uh, the systemic racism and oppression. How do you see the intersection of that with the LGBTQIA struggle and with the trans human struggle? Cause that's a whole different deal, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, it is, and it isn't, they're all folded in together because um, one of the things that I speak and uh, consult a lot around is gender equity. And the reason is because I walked in women's skin for 35 years and then transition to what people assume that I'm, now people always read me as usually straight male. Sometimes I get gay man, and I'm always like, yay. So if you could see the gay in me, <laughs> I'm always happy. Um, but mostly I have a, a a very beautiful wife and people take us as a straight couple. And so um, that's, I'm assumed that people assume that about me all the time. Um, but the the sexism that just lives inside our world that we swim in all the time, I got to be you know, front and center right seat to that because I got handed white male privilege as I walked around in uh as an undercover white guy for the last twenty years. And so that folds itself in together where you have trans uh transphobia and sexism are so molded on top of each other. And then if you take white supremacy and fold it over that, then that's where that's where our whole world lives. And so it's uh difficult to unpack sometimes, I think. And I you know for example, one of the things I said to somebody recently is, uh, I saw this great uh, image on Twitter where someone had done an image of this unicorn, but it was a unicorn that was uh, rain had was colored in rainbow and it had like a hockey mask on its face and it was like a it was like a you know diabolical unicorn, and the 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 tag on it said Pride is canceled. It's Gay Wrath Month, right? And so, and I loved that. I was like, yes. Because I think that the, those of us that are um, out as queer activists feel like we can do pride. We have been benefited from white male privilege as LGBTQ people. And that is the most obvious if you really look at our history around the movement. Our movement moved biggest when Matthew Shepard was killed. And when he was, you know, hung on that fence, let's get real if that kid was not white and rich, we would not have had the entire shift that we had in the LGBTQ movement, but he was white and his parents had money. And so therefore, boom, right? We exploded (laughs) and HRC got huge and they got all this money from them. And then the Gates Foundation, this was 19, this was like, what was, Matthew was like 19, I can't remember now, 1998, somewhere on there so 97, 98, 99, I'm in DC, they have a huge, huge, like HRC comp- concert with Melissa Etheridge and Garth Brooks, and I mean, these are people who have never been, you know, Melissa Etheridge wasn't even out yet for a long time before that, you know, so, I mean, it was not cool to be pro-gay until that happened, and all of a sudden, we have all this money, and and we have, that's about privilege, that's about white privilege, right, so, there's this coding over the whole community with that, and and we have been been blessed and moved forward with that. So then, if you, I mean, and I hope that this make that I can make this make sense. But one of the things that incenses people about trans women, right? Because trans men, a we're, we we uh, people give us they think it makes sense because of course men are more valued, so of course you want to be a man. That makes more sense. But God forbid you trans women, why wouldn't you want to be a man? <laughs> what is wrong with you <laughs> that you wouldn't want to be a man? And then when you add trans women of color, right, now we've got to deal with the fact that not only are you, you know, you don't want to be a man, but now, you, you know, the audacity of you people of color, not, I mean, that's just ridiculous, which is why trans women of color are, you know, being murdered. We've had two, essentially we get two a month usually, on average, of two trans women of color murdered a month. So it's that, that's that dynamic of who's most important and what's most important are white men, right? And so nobody can fathom why anybody would not want to be a man. And so trans women are a way bigger target and have always been a bigger target than trans men. We're mostly ignored because we are born female, so nobody cares about that. Um, and then, you know, of course we would have become men because you do. Um, it's the non-binary piece that when, for me, uh, being a non-binary person, when I tell them that, then they get really confused because they're like, oh, well, you should be a dude. You should be a man. You're a man. I mean, you look like a man, right? So that's the piece that throws people the most. <laughs> um, but I think there's a lot of layers. And the more we unpack our white privilege, the more we can see and the more conscious we are. And so I think it's our important for all LGBTQ white people to keep unpacking that and understand that we have benefited as a movement from white privilege all along the way.
0: Christopher McAuliffe is your source for the latest in the world of personal coaching. Whether it be speaking with such luminaries as Deepak Chopra or getting the newest techniques and innovation, The Coaching Show is always on the cutting edge of what's happening now. The Coaching Show is brought to you by Accomplishment Coaching, home of the World's Finest Coach Training Program. Here is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach.
2: I'd love to hear you talk about gender and like gender and genitals and them not being the same in a line i, know, I noticed notice right now we're doing a lot and i think this is great we're, we're changing a lot of definitions right we're saying things like white power doesn't mean a nazi or a guy in a, a white you know hood and um it it can mean culture it can mean language it can mean behavior um racism doesn't just necessarily mean like i hate that person there's a lot to these things and I noticed that's what I started thinking about when you were just talking right now about gender. Can you talk about the shifting, how you see the shifting dynamics of gender? Because we've always seen it as a binary, as a binary conversation. That's just how we've, almost all of us, right, have been raised. And now it's, yeah. it's
1: changing. My definition of gender is um, uh, expected behavior combined with classic training, As far as I'm concerned, we are completely trained into our gender, and then we have expected behavior that goes with that, that, I mean, you just have to fall in line with that expected behavior, or you will be pushed out. Um, And so I do feel like we've tipped that a little bit. Um, My show, I specifically called it the Gender Reveal Party. I was given that by the heavens. I meditated on it until it finally came to me. But my whole point in that is I call it the gender reveal party because in my show, I make sure to make the distinction that you may have attended a gender reveal party, and I assert that that is a genital reveal party. So you are having a party, and you're getting all dressed up to go have an unborn baby's genitals revealed to you, and that information then gives you how you act, how you behave toward that unborn child and certainly once it's born you know how to treat it because wow do people freak out have you ever known anybody who had a kid and didn't tell people the gender of that child oh people get so freaked out they just don't even know and gender is so important for us to know so that we can relate to it that we ask it's the first people ask first question people ask a pregnant woman is it going to be a boy or a girl Um, all of those things. We want to know the genitals of this child because I guarantee you that genitals and gender have nothing to do with one another. And so, but unfortunately we think they do. And so once we find out that's a little boy in there, then he's a little man and look how strong he is and look at all that. Right. And then once we find out it's a girl, it's that little miss and isn't she precious and all of that. And if you really pay attention, that is from in utero until death we treat people based on their gender based on what we assert that they should be right and so when you throw a wrench into that it really freaks people out <laughs> it really it really makes people upset uh and so i have uh you know that for me though I, I what i do in my show is i announce my genitals throughout the whole thing <laughs> I, every time i uh, throughout the whole show, I say genitals, female, gender identity, and then I change my gender identity. So it started out as a little girl, tomboy, butch dyke, power lesbian, because I went back, I went, I was out as a butch and was masculine expressed. And then I went, my dad asked me to go get my education. I went to college, but I was convinced that in order to make it in college, I had to fem up. So I grew my hair out, I put on makeup, I went back to calling myself Janet, which is my birth name. Um, and I was just convinced I nobody was going to take me seriously, like going by J and wearing boys clothes. Like that wasn't going to happen. So, you know, again, gender identity shifted to power lesbian. Then I came out as a transgender butch after that. Then I started calling myself a gender queer slash trans man, then to non-binary. I mean, that it's just all of those, all of those different phases of my gender identity shifted, but my genitals stayed the same. And that's where I try to really have people understand that how you perceive yourself and what you want to express has nothing to do with the fact that you have a penis or a vagina. However, I coach a lot of women. I coach mostly women exclusively. And I assert that most women, especially over 40, 40 years old and are heterosexual cisgender women are in relationships that are very binary and that we divide that, um, Cisgendered heterosexual people (laughs) still live very much in the binary in their relationships where he takes out the trash because he has a penis, right? Her job is to do all the emotional labor with the children and know who their doctors are and who their teachers are. And he doesn't. And so I, at least in the Midwest anyway, there's still a lot of binary uh, in heterosexual relationships. And it's fascinating to me because that's not my life, right? My wife and I are very, I'm a non-binary human and our relationship is very non-binary um, in so many ways. So it's just a, uh, it's an interesting um, thing to me, human beings really love their gender identity. It's, it's so it's <laughs> it funny me it if you tell them anything else.
2: <laughs> you just pointed to that. We just, I just had a conversation with my girlfriend where she came in from outside of fixing a pipe and rebuilding a fence on her property and with a with a friend of ours who was on a giant tractor pushing dirt around and i they come in she comes in to get some water and i'm like i'm gonna make you breakfast <laughs> I'm, I'm in the kitchen cooking and she goes oh can you make something for our friend and i'm like yeah what does he want what does he want? and i like wrap them up two little lunches nice. and i send them Good off for you she, take- <laughs> she she takes something out and i and we look at each other and we go this is oddly reversed than the typical ranch thing. And we both kind of laughed about it, but it is funny that you think like we, like even the fact that we would notice that, right. Like right. I'm as a, as the because grown it's not man, the norm. I should be out there. And that's not how we are. Like I, right. she, I don't, you know, I can go out and help her fix a pipe, but I don't actually want to do that. That's, right. She likes doing <laughs> stuff like that.
1: Yeah. My wife is way more handy than I am. She's got and, and she reads directions, so I don't. And so we, you know, she puts things together and does the electrical work around the house and anything that needs to be fixed in the house, she's pretty much does that. Um, and I like to cook more. So yeah, it's it's interesting.
0: I'd like to I'd like to drill down a little more on this. Um what changed for you when you became a parent?
1: Whew. <laughs> So I always say that parenting is the most transformational experience I've ever had. And, you know, I've had so many gender changes, so that should say something right. Um, What changed for me when we became a parent, um, first of all, I had to deal with myself. I was 44 years old, the year my children were born. So I had been a, I, one of the things that just a tip for people who haven't had kids, if you're like me and you are this naive, they never go away. They never leave. I know, right? You have to have them all. I, the
0: time. Yeah. You need a minute. A person needs a minute. Give me a weekend.
1: Give me a week. Right? I mean, it's insane. So that for me that was the hardest part As being I was forty-four years old. Um so um that was that was very intense for me. Um but the in terms of binary stuff, nothing what changed was And this is what's interesting. What changed was, and what I started dealing with, and I love, and I'm always fascinated by this, is how binary the world is in their view. So they start making assumptions about me because of my masculine expression. So they literally say things to my wife, like if she's out and about, they'll be like, who's with the kids? They never ask me that. Right? They know if I'm out and about, my wife's with the kids. But if she's out and about, like how could Jay possibly be with the children? <laughs>
0: we, we just left a bowl of food and some right, water. We man. just
1: chained them to their fridge, you know, but they do things like that. And they make these, ass- all. they also put me in these categories of assumptions around how men are. So, you know, one of the things that happens, uh, this happened actually It was a real story. I have a net, a great nephew. So I have 27 nieces and nephews. I have 28 great nieces and nephews. And I have like, 15 now great great. It's like huge family, right? So my sister is much older than I am. She's like 25 years older than I am. So she's talking about her great grandchild, right? And the fact that they just had a baby and she starts saying, and he's so good with that baby. He's so great, he's changing diapers and he's doing all those things, right? And so I'm like, well, give that boy a gold star, right? Because somehow if a boy or if a guy can change diapers and do those things, then he's a super guy, right? Women are just expected to do that crap. (laughs) Women are just like, that's just your job, right? But if guys do it, then whoa, you know, that's huge. And so it's those kind of conversations that when I started having kids, people putting those kinds of thoughts on our relationship as though I didn't know how to handle children. And as though she had to have all the burden of, you know, the emotional labor and, you know, all those same things that the binary that they live in, they assume we live in, too. Yeah. And,
0: and I appreciate the where you're looking, but if you don't mind, I'd like to refocus it. And sorry, Alex, there's just one follow-up. The, um, what I notice is that when you speak about parenting and even your relationship, most of what I'm hearing is you sort of being critical or judgmental or, or pointing to the dominant cultural cues. Mm-hmm. What I would love to hear and and maybe this is too personal but I'd love to hear you as an as a person you know inside your emotional landscape what what changed when you became a parent because that you know I appreciate the the cultural norms that that you're noticing yeah. but I'm wondering what about you in in your heart or or wherever wow, you are wow,
1: well that's huge too again transformational experience the the most poignant one that I can point to. So, so just knowing that I come from a place of real self-loathing, right? I mean, like I really hated my own guts and I thought that I had all that handled, right? I thought that I knew that I had come to a place. I love myself. I accept myself, you know, all that. The first time I started seeing my, my little boy imitate me, because he was being like, dad. Yeah. I found myself like, like what, why would you want to be like, you know, like, thinking why is he imitating me? And then I got for myself, holy smokes, Jay, why wouldn't he? You know, like, what's, what's wrong with you that you wouldn't want him to imitate you? Yeah. But what I got, it's like that la- layer of just another layer of self-loathing that I had, that I had to realize my children want to be like me. (laughs) You know, kids just want to be like their parents, but you don't know that until you have them. Right. They just want to be near you. They just want to be like you.
2: It doesn't really matter if you're a
1: jerk. Your kids still want to be like you. Right. And so I'm very clear of my jerkness. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So You know, but I had this moment where I was like, oh my, why would you want to imitate me? Right. And starting to deal with my own self-esteem and my own, you know, what's wrong with me? You know, so that was one of the first things that I had to, it was huge for me. And it was like a whole nother layer that I got to deal with around that. And then other than that, it's just been an ever-evolving, growing with them process of us navigating how to be with each other and to like, first of all, I have a transgender child. So our kid came out to us as trans when he was just this past couple months. Wow. So that that's a totally different, another, yeah. whole another thing, but it's, but it's always been, a, and we adopted our kids through foster care. So we were dealing with foster care and we were dealing with courts and we we're dealing with, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of stuff. And so the emotionality of all that, and then, um, showing up for them as someone who wants to be with them and not resist that I could be a decent parent. I thought I was a terrible parent for the first like three years. <laughs> and I judged and assessed myself on it so harshly. Like I, I, and that's a lot of my book. I talk about progress, not perfection. And I really work a lot with, um, I assert women are trained to be perfect. Yes. Women are trained that it has to look perfect. And all that came out of me when we had kids like, everything I'd ever been trained classically trained around uh, being female completely came out when we had kids and I really had to deal with my own perfectionism and my own wanting to look good and my own, you know, all those things to try to find that level of being present with them and dealing with myself. It was, it was a struggle. I wrote a book out. I got a book out of it because, because that's where I figured out my signature process because I realized when, I had this moment I talk about in the book where I was getting the, it was my day to take the kids to daycare and I got them up, I got them dressed, I got them fed, I got them in the car, I was backing out of the driveway and I was so happy that I had ticked every box off and I realized that I hadn't made the coffee for my wife and I'd been making coffee for her every day of our lives for, you know, we've been together forever and I got furious. And I mean, furious, I was so angry. And I realized it wasn't just, it was like that, I was checking a box. <laughs> I was checking a box, I was being perfect. And so I drove around, I was so angry, I got the kids dropped off and I was just so enraged and it was, it was ridiculous, but I'm, you know, as a coach, our job is to, I assert, my job is to watch myself right? Is to become the observer. I teach my clients to become the observer so you can look at yourself and see what the heck is going on. So I'm observing myself, I'm coaching myself and I'm observing myself. And I heard this, I said to myself, I had this voice come up and said, Jay, if you never get it all right, if you never get it perfect, can you still love yourself? And my immediate response was, no, (laughs) no, (laughs) no, I can't. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I have to get it right. I mean, come on.
2: I I got to see that
1: visceral response. I got to see myself be so angry and respond with that. And for me, what that said to myself was, if I don't get to dial this back in, I'm going to end up back in that psychiatric unit where I landed at 18. Because I have got to figure this out. And so for myself, I started baby stepping myself into a different conversation about me being loving myself as a parent and being able to be with them and be okay with that but it was it was having a parent was becoming a parent wasn't just crazy to me <laughs> and you know i do have kids that come out of foster care i have a special needs child he is not an easy you know he's a he's got a lot of stuff going on um and so it's difficult but it's boy it's just been the best growth experience ever there he's a master teacher i will just say that he is a master teacher
2: beautiful yeah i'm um, I'd love to hear about the the way that the conversations go in the home with your children, because you know around gender, around um, these binary terms. Because Mm -hmm. it seems like in still for the most part, like the world that they go out into sends them messages the way all of us grew up, and then at home you're creating new messages, new definitions, and you know, I think, I think it's always like this, right? It doesn't matter if we're talking about sex or politics, like there's always mixed messages coming from the world and at home, depending on where we grew up and what our families are like. I'm, I'm curious how you're having these conversations and the, the kind of questions you get, like the kind
1: of questions they ask and how you mm-hmm. answer them. <laughs> well, um, first of all, a couple of stories. One, when my son was in um, pre-K, he was in a, a class for For pre-K, and they had show and tell, and he had been he'd been coveting his his uh, sister at the time had this big pink unicorn. It was bigger than he was. I mean, it was like he could barely carry it. You know, it's so big. He wanted to take it to show and tell so bad. So he takes it to show and tell. I was with him. He walks in the door, and the very first person he sees is another little girl his age. And the very first thing she says to him is, "That's a girl's toy." Now, my son is neuroatypical, so he said, "No, it's mine." (laughs) yes yeah buddy it's yours (laughs) so those are similar to some of the conversations they hear where they'll come home and they'll say i heard you know only boys can do this and we're like well we all know that's silly right so we've always talked about how silly it is that people think that only boys can do certain things and only girls can do other things um but i have been out to my kids from always from the beginning one of the things I learned, I came out as a lesbian in 1985. And when I came out, my siblings handled it very differently. My brother, uh, who had six kids, uh, made it into no big deal. Like, that's just how Aunt Janet is, that's like no big deal. Those kids never had an issue, never had a problem, never had anything. I have another I had another example where my sister did not want me to tell my nephew about it. She didn't feel like he was old enough to understand. And so when he was eight or nine, I had to sit down with him and come out to him. And he was really angry with me. He felt like that he and I had been close and that I had been keeping this from him his whole life. And so I, following that lead, I wanted my kids to just have that knowledge their whole lives. So from the time we got them, I always told stories. And this is different. I'm a non-binary human and I have no issue with my femaleness like anything like that, so it's different than other trans guys who there are trans guys who would say that they when they talk about their lives they talk about themselves as little boys because in their world they've always been boys. So for me, when I told stories to my kids, I always said, "Well, when I was a little girl, I did these things." And so, you know, for years, a couple years, and when my kids didn't, they didn't say anything. Finally, when my daughter was about three, three and a half, she was like started a clue into it. And she was like, what do you mean when you're a little girl? And that's whenever I got to tell her that for me, I made a choice to take testosterone. And it was, it's a, at the time, especially it was important for me to let her know that I was a little girl and I decided to be a man or decided I wanted man skin. And so I took testosterone and that's how it happened. And so um, we've always been very open about those conversations. And as a result, you know, it's always been just a fact of that's just how it goes. They have asked me some of the funniest questions. she has my son being neurotypical. he forgets all the time like he'll forget we'll go into a bathroom and he'll be like why aren't you using the urinal dad and I'm like I don't have a penis son he's like oh that's right I forgot you know like they he still forgets all the time but my daughter like I remember coming home from a workshop and I was in the in my bedroom and changing out of my suit and my daughter came in kind of leaned in the doorway and she was, she couldn't have been older than four. And she was leaning in the door when she goes, you don't have a penis, do you? I was like, no, I don't. And she goes, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and then she just kept walking. I was like, you're hilarious. <laughs> she has, um when we, got, when I finally got a chance to adopt her, our child was our foster uh, child for three years before we could adopt. So when we finally got a chance to adopt her, I gave her a doll that was mine when I was little. Um, And the only reason I gave it to her is because she likes to play with dolls and he didn't. So, but I saved it and I gave it to her. And, you know, I said, this was my doll when I was a little girl. And she took it to church with us. And anybody that asked, you know, about this doll, she would go, oh, this is my daddy's when he was a little girl. I'm very out at church, but, uh, but people also forget. And I talk about that a lot in the show. People only see what they see. And so they only, you know, they just forget. And so, you know, all throughout the church, people are like, oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you know, but my kids are very vocal about it, very open about it. They're great. They call me Maddie, um, which is uh, mom, daddy. And uh, when I came out as non-binary, um, my oldest and I talked about it, and I like Maddie. And so they started calling me Maddie. My my son, who's neurotypical, calls me by my first name. He calls me Jay. So usually it's Jay, but my other one calls me Maddie. And they're just really... Open about it. They know lots of trans people. They know lots of non-binary humans, and um, they're pretty, pretty great with it. Um, like I said, he gets a little confused and forgets sometimes, but the other one's right on top of it.
0: Thanks for sharing. I'm. Um, it's so. It's so great to have someone so open about every aspect of life because we can see ourselves. You know, I've gotten in this conversation to look at who I am as a, as a parent and as a partner and as a uh, church member and as a business person, you know, through this lens. And it's so important. And I want to let people know how to reach you. Um, Jay Pryor, that's J-A-Y-P-R-Y-O-R. Jay Pryor is available at J Pryor Consulting. Again, J-A-Y-P-R-Y-O-R Consulting. Dot com. Do not confuse this Jay Pryor with the baseball coach or with the Chevron vice president of mergers and acquisitions. Well, the
1: DJ, there's a DJ out actually. Oh, that's he's, right. He's that's Chevron right. president. Every time I googled myself, that guy was like right under me. Yeah, and now there's a DJ, and he's pretty popular because that guy, I get his emails a lot um because my I have an email that's j dot prior gmail dot com and so does he apparently or he has something like that i get his emails a lot <laughs> and uh, he's he must be pretty pretty good d j so i'm not have thinking,
0: have you done a few parties just because you got the emails and you yeah, got, right, right. Why?
1: <laughs> set <him> up yeah <laughs> why the other um way to uh see if you're interested in uh looking at my show the gender dot com is another mm. place to find me. Uh, where you'll find the show so those are very different websites
0: <laughs> and, a, and an extraordinary show it is um uh w- you're also very generous you've got a giveaway for our guests what what is it
1: yeah if they'd like a copy of a free audiobook of my book um
0: free, can... book. Sorry, free book sorry just wanted to emphasize
1: yeah, that. free book. there's a couple ways they can get it either they can go to my website and just act like you're going to buy it and when it gets down to it in little blue letters, it'll say "Have a coupon." You can just put in the word "free audiobook," okay. and it'll go to zero, and you can download it. If you'd like to, you can text the word "free audiobook" to. I can give you the number. It's three one four six six five one seven six seven, and then we'll send you a link, and that'll just send you that to that link to buy it. Again, same. You're going to go to the same site, so. Very good. Way, Just act like you're going to buy it, and it'll put in the word "free audiobook," and it'll go to zero. And we'd love so
0: generous. Audiobook. And again, the book is "Lean Inside: Seven Steps for Personal Power: A Practical Guide to Transformation for Women." Um, Alex, my big plan is to uh, give the last few minutes of our show today to Jay. Uh, anything that you wanted to address before we before we do that before we
2: wrap that? No, no. This has been this has been great. Uh, I love what you said before, Christopher, about being able to see ourselves um, in all these conversations. Right. And like Jay, you do a really wonderful job of, I, I started doing, Christopher knows this on my podcast, having conversations about race, inclusion, uh, diversity, and bringing on people of all different, simply to have them tell us about their lives. So you can understand what it would be like to be like a black man in America. Right. And my assertion is that through being with somebody and then telling them about your life, you get to be with their humanity. You get to see that whether they look like you, act like you, whatever, we're all exactly the same Um, my deal with different things, but the stories and the things touch us in the exact same ways. And I'm really present to that with you and and the way you talk about your kids. And I don't have any kids yet, but I'm like imagining these conversations, they would be different for me and my children, but they would be the same. Um, So I'm just very grateful to have had this experience with you.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Just before you have kids, remember it. They never go away. <laughs> they never. They don't. <laughs> Christopher, doesn't, Christopher doesn't
2: either. So I'm like, that's why I'm here. I'm used to and I,
0: Training. I'm Training. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher <Roy> doesn't either. <laughs> nice. All right, Jay. Uh, gosh, you're doing such great work in the world, and so important, and we're so grateful that you were here. Uh, I want to give you the last few minutes of our show today. If you had a parting thought or a parting shot, something you'd like a few thousand coaches to think about or take with us today, what would you have? Yeah. First
1: you? of all, I just want to appreciate uh, appreciate you both uh, for having me and for continuing this conversation. Um, and just real personal, Christopher, when you uh, said I knocked it out of the ball, you said you lit the, I lit the place on fire through Zoom. I'm like, could you put that in writing for me? Because I tell you what, doing keynotes over Zoom is not, not the same.
2: Right? <laughs> no feedback, no audience participation. <laughs> right.
1: It's very different. So first of all, just I uh, wanted to appreciate you both uh, for having me on and for continuing to be in this conversation. Coaching, as far as I'm concerned, is the most magnificent profession on the planet. I feel like coaches make the biggest difference uh, in the world for all kinds of people, and so I appreciate uh, always continuing to be in this conversation as a coach. The last things I would love to leave with leave people with is this idea that if you haven't if you haven't thought about it before, I would invite you all to consider that your genitals have nothing to do with your gender, and that if you really take that in and consider what are some of the things that you do maybe they're performative, maybe they go deep, that have you living from a place of your classic training or your expected behavior. And I would invite you to look at what's possible, like what kind of freedom could you have for your life if you really understood that you didn't have to do those things, like that those things are, are all about our society's training and what other people think, and that you can be free to express yourself any way you want to, And I just invite people to be in that conversation because I think that what we could shift in our world, if we raised our consciousness around our gender identity, and our gender expression, we so much could shift in our world. If all the people (laughs) started to really look at what do I do that keeps me in this box of being a woman? What do I do that keeps me in this box of being a man? What do I need to do? What do I perform to do that? And what, what, what am I missing out on? Because one of the things I talk about in the show that I think is so important is we don't just discriminate against women and put them in the box to serve. There's a lot of times that men are not invited to the table just because that's what we decided, right? I tell a story about my sister-in-law who is, who dies, it passes. My sisters and I go early to be there for my brother and his kids and this amazing intimate poignant story of getting to be there for my nieces and nephews the moment their mom dies and holding them in my arms and my sisters and I being in that room and none of my brothers were there and it's not because it's because they weren't a they weren't invited but they didn't even consider it right it wasn't on their radar because men are not invited to that they're not they're not invited to those things right they're not invited into the kitchen for those intimate conversations. And so men really miss out on some juicy stuff in our lives because of this box, right? So I just invite all people to look at, what am I missing out on? What's possible for me? If I could just let go of all the training and just really express myself however I want.
0: So beautiful. Thank you so much. Alex, I'm looking forward to our little bonus discussion today because I know there's a lot up for both of us. Jay Pryor, An Extraordinary Human. Um, you can find out more by going to Jay, J-A-Y, Pryor, P-R-Y-O-R, consulting.com, uh, and get the book. Get the free, unbelievable, audiobook uh, by texting free audiobook to 314-665-1767, or simply go to that website and go through all the st- steps to purchase the book, and then for the coupon, right in free audio book. Again, the book is Lean Inside, Seven Steps for Personal Power, A Practical Guide to Transformation for Women. Also check out thegenderrevealparty.com. And um, Jay, thank you for all the work that you're doing in the world. Thank it's great both. to be with
1: you. Love being with you. Really appreciate it.
0: All right. Thank you so much. We'll bid you a fond farewell. And then Alex, uh, you, I'm looking forward to some bonus time. Do you have some bonus time for us I today? I we'll Talk about it? Of course. All right. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jay.
1: That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to The Coaching Show. We will talk to you next week.